Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Read with your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. I'm Michelle Martin. The book I picked for you today is Where Were You by Matthew Friedman. I'm going to read you an excerpt so that you get a sense of the kind of book that we're getting through today. The book you're about to read is not an ordinary book, neither is it pleasant nor a nice book. The book you're about to read is an urgent book. It is urgent because it will give you an unusual insight into one of the world's most compelling tragedies, that of modern-day slavery. It is urgent because in our world, some 2020 that is, there are over 40 million modern slaves. It is urgent because this number is higher than ever before in the history of humankind. Matthew Friedman is a global expert on modern slavery and human trafficking. He's an author, filmmaker, and philanthropist, and the, the man behind the book we're reading today, Where Were You? Matthew Friedman, welcome to read. Well, thank you for having me. Great to be here. How is this book different from other books out there on the topic of modern slavery? And specifically, how is it different from your wife, Sylvia U. Friedman? Uh, she had a book out recently, and we had her on our show a couple of weeks back. Well, I think the way the book is a little bit different is it's kind of a textbook for addressing the issue of human trafficking, modern slavery, forced labor, all of these terms that we hear on a regular basis. I often have people come to me over the last 30 years and say, where can I get just one book that would have all the information I need? And so I wrote the book initially starting with a lot of stories to help people to understand the issue from a personal side, from an emotional side. Then I put a bunch of lessons in there about what works, what doesn't work. And then at the end, there's a call to action. So just about everything you need in order to kind of understand this topic that comes up in the news on a regular basis is profiled in some ways. Uh, Sylvia's book, uh, an amazing piece of work. It's, uh, it's so well written, focuses more on kind of sex trafficking, historical sex trafficking, issues related to women and girls. It's complementary to this book, a little bit different, but it also addresses similar topics. The word slaves sounds archaic. What did you have to do to bring this issue alive for the contemporary reader? Well, slavery is a very emotional term. It's one of those terms that when you hear it, you react to it. Uh, This terminology resulted from the 40 million people in human trafficking kind of being, you know, the the focus on human trafficking as a terminology has always been on kind of the movement of people from one place to another, not the end point of the movement. But the end point of human trafficking is when a person doesn't get paid, they can't leave the situation. So it's slavery. So when it comes to this particular terminology, just as you said, it's archaic. Uh, And a lot of people say, well, we don't have slavery. It happened a long time ago. That's the reason why they put the word modern next to it. So modern slavery defines the end point of human trafficking for which, as you rightfully said, there's 40 million people around the world. In fact, there are more slaves today than any other time in history. This is a shocking fact to read in your foreword that the number is higher than ever before in the history of humankind. What are the drivers behind this? Well, basically greed, uh, people taking an opportunity to exploit other people. The fact that out of the 40 million people in modern slavery, very few victims are are rescued. Last year, it was about 108,000, which would be 0.2%. If you can feel like you can take advantage of a person and get away with it, you're going to do that. So the drivers would be kind of 
systems and procedures that allow for this to happen because there isn't enough oversight. There isn't enough uh, kind of emphasis on laws. Uh, There's not enough operationalization of the laws. There's not enough rule of law in place. As a result of all of these factors, a lot of people get tricked and deceived into a situation where their life is taken away from them for a period of time. They can't make choices. They don't have the ability to just wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to go do this and that the way uh, all the rest of us have. And so their life is stolen, their freedom is stolen. And it's, it's, a, it's a factor that very few people know about. So awareness raising is an extremely important part of the process. And that's part of the reason why Sylvia and I wrote our books. I'm glad you mentioned awareness aware- raising, because I think people think slavery doesn't happen in this world that they live in, and certainly doesn't happen here, wherever here is for the reader. But it does. In fact, your book mentions Singapore. Does Singapore have a role to play in combating slavery? And where is it mentioned in your book? Well, everywhere in the world, every country and territory has the issue. Singapore does as well. In Singapore, it would be sex trafficking. It would be domestic helpers that are in situations where uh, they would be in debt bondage, which is a form of modern slavery. It would be in construction sites and so forth. So the book uh, takes on some of those stories and those cases and offers some kind of insights into what can be done by governments in order to address the problem. Well, we think rule of law is, you know, um, unimpeachable, many jurisdictions, and I think Singapore comes to mind when we think of that as well. So what needs to change? Well, rule of law is often there, and it exists within Singapore as well. The problem is that if you kind of have something like human trafficking, because of the clandestine nature of it, it, it's hidden. So a lot of kind of the cases that are out there are not seen by people. If cases are identified, the rule of law procedure takes sometimes years. And so as a result of that, you can have three, four cases that are moving over an extended period of time, but it doesn't really allow uh, enough bandwidth to go after all of the other cases that are there. So rule of law is one element. What's really more important is to have the general public, the business world, to understand this issue and to have them understand that they have a role to play in addressing this as well. You talk about cases not coming to light. Is the modern world losing the fight against slavery? Well, once again, if we're only helping 0.2% of the victims, I think that we're not even in the game. And part of the reason for this is that the profits generated from modern slavery are estimated to be 150 billion U.S. dollars a year. The amount of money that's used globally to fight this is about 350 million, which is 0.23%. In order for us to really make a difference, we need the governments, the United Nations. We need all kinds of other uh, organizations that are out there to be able to uh, address this particular issue. And the business world needs to be involved. The business world has never really kind of had this as a mandate, but the work that I do at the Macon Club, my organization, addresses that. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Macon Club in just a while. I want to ask about the different lessons, uh, the different dimensions, perhaps, that of solutions that this book covers, from personal struggles, uh, mistakes, being in the field. What are some of the different lessons of combating slavery that this book explores? Well, one of the important things that I tried to get across is that it's not just about having a, a perfect plan or strategy or approach. Many of the issues that prevent human trafficking from moving forward are interpersonal issues. 
not being able to get organizations to work together, not being able to get the NGOs and the law enforcement to work with each other, the interpersonal things that are intangibles that contribute to a situation where something works or doesn't work. For example, sometimes you have a terrible plan, but the right people, and it works out very well, or a great plan, but not the right people. And as a result of that, you know, what needs to happen is for people to understand that interpersonal, professional relationships with uh, organizations and entities that are working on this have to be sound. There has to be good communication. There has to be good sharing. There has to be good intelligence. There has to be good data. All of those things are essential. And the book talks about the importance of that. What are some of the, the darkest encounters that uh, you've chanced upon throughout your 30 years of experience in this field? Well, one of the things that really kind of changed my way from being just somebody who cared about this to becoming an activist was uh, when I was in India, I was invited to do public health checks in brothels to see that people were using condoms. In one of the brothels that I went to, and I had a police officer with me, there was an 11-year-old trafficking victim. This girl saw me, saw an opportunity, literally ran up and wrapped herself around me and said, save me, save me. They're doing terrible things to me. I looked down at this child who was hysterically crying, wearing a dress 20 sizes too big because she was a child in an adult's world. I turned to the police officer and said, we need to get her out of here. He said, we can't do that. Said, what are you talking about? You're a cop. He said, well, if we try to leave, they'll kill us both. To make a long story short, we left. We came back with more police, but of course she was gone. This particular girl's face and the tears that she was shedding just seared a hole right in my, my heart. And, you know, I have never really been able to get over that. And so what this did is it caused me to kind of surrender to the fact that now that I know about this, this is what I'm going to do with my life. And 30 years later, here I am talking to you. So those types of stories have a devastating impact on people who have experienced this in a way that changes them forever. And I wonder what happened to that little girl. Were you able to, to help her in some way? No, I'm sure that uh, she was taken away to another house. Because of her age, she would have been used uh, extensively. She would have gotten AIDS, and within three years, she would have been dead. I did a research for a book back in that period of time and interviewed 350 women and girls who had been forced into prostitution, and none of them lasted for more than five years after that. So to add uh, insult to injury, in addition to having their life be taken away, in addition to having all these men use them, they die a painful death afterwards. And so it's so important to get this out to people, to have them understand that 4.8 million women and girls around the world are in that same situation right now, including Singapore. The people involved in the supply lines are often invisible to the people running big corporations. You're CEO of the Mekong Club. How exactly does your club encourage businesses to do their bit to help end modern slavery? Well, we have an association model. We work with the private sector in a positive, supportive, non-naming and shaming way. What we do is we equip them with the information, the processes and procedures they need in order to address the issue. So a series of procedures would be first deal with C-suite, help them to understand the issue, help the organization to understand that they have codes and conducts and policies that need to be put in place that cascade all the way down into their supply chain. There has to be point people or a team within the organization to address this. Everyone needs to be trained in their language so that they actually understand what this issue is. Risk assessments to ensure that basically the company knows where the vulnerability is 
And there needs to be audits and grievance mechanisms that allow workers to report what's going on. And lastly, if they find issues, they need to know how to remediate them. So we work with businesses in Singapore and Hong Kong and across Asia and the world to help to inform them that this is a topic that they have to address. Because 16 million of these people that we're talking about are associated with supply chains in the private sector. To what extent is the move towards ESG, ESG investing, you know, an awareness of ESG, um, catalyzing change in the business sector uh, when it comes to your field, modern slavery? I think it's an amazingly important uh, transition. As you know, uh, when COVID started, ESG was kind of an emerging policy and procedure, and now it's it's front and center. It's no longer just about profits and growth and prestige. You also have to demonstrate your business with purpose. So within ESG, S has an emphasis on modern slavery, forced labor, and so forth. And so what we're seeing is those indicators that in the past have been somewhat ignored are being kind of risen up to a point where a lot of companies have to take this seriously. They have to focus on this. And this exposure is going to help to ensure that there is more emphasis on this topic within supply chains. Matt, what do you hope the everyday reader can take away from this book? There's 40 million people in modern slavery. There, a new slave every, enters every four seconds. 26,000 people enter per day. This is a topic that really has to kind of be um, promoted as being a priority because so many people suffer in this situation. So many people are asking every day, where is the world? Why aren't they helping us? And the book kind of helps the average reader to understand how within their business, within their um, personal life, within the, the ability of what they have as a human being, this is what you can do in order to address the issue. We can hear your urgency, the urgency and the passion there. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for uh, having me on your show. That's Matthew Friedman. He's the author of the book we're reading today. It's not an ordinary book, certainly an important one. Where Were You is the title. Read with your money, only on Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.